Greetings. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the Allendale Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 68. Allendale Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LNL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Austin Bridges and Gary Beans and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise discernment be sensitive to inner resonance in determining what is true. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LNL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. And this week, well, before we get to our question, let's see if our our panel here's ready to go. Austin, Gary, you guys ready to go? I suppose so. Yeah. If you must, right? <laughs> I think okay. I'm good. Okay, on to the question. This one is from Major Third from Bring Forth. And he says, I seem to sometimes run into a paradox when thinking about acceptance of the self. It seems sometimes that in my striving to accept all parts of myself, I forget to accept my own unacceptance or part of me that judges myself and perhaps other people too. It seems to me that if I accept that part of myself, then that could slow down the progress of accepting and balancing the parts of me unaccepted by this judging part. This might seem a little confusing, and I'm not sure I even fully understand the question myself. Have any of you thought about this possible paradox, or can you comment on this topic? So it seems like we've got a couple of... uh, questions here. One of them is uh, the paradox, the seeming paradox between accepting the self and accepting the unacceptance of the self. And then we can get into perhaps more of the acceptance of the self. Austin, how would you like to start us off? Well, uh, my answer, um, it sort of touches on both of those, but it really gets to the heart of the first question that you highlighted. So um, uh, Major Third said that he wasn't really sure that he fully understood the question himself. So in order to answer it, I had to kind of reframe it a bit uh, for this discussion. So when he talks about accepting his unaccepting self, which I suppose could be correlated to like a judgmental self, I'm assuming that this is a view of uh, him balancing that aspect of himself and allowing it to then fall away. He's imagining that if he does this, he will lose this capacity to evaluate himself, and it will slow down his progress that was sort of um, uh, quickened by his natural tendency to uh, not accept those things within himself, or not accept the unacceptance of the unacceptance uh, that circular paradox. So essentially, I think he's worried about losing the fuel of of the judgment in self-development. So that's sort of how I read his question, um, if I understood it. So taking that perspective, uh, I would like to share 
one perspective that I think could help reframe his own perspective and perhaps offer sort of a um, solution to the paradox or at least um, take away the paradox from that thinking. And it's informed by a book that I recently read called The Willpower Instinct, How Self-Control Works, Why It Matters, and What You Can Do to Get More of It by Dr. Kelly McGonigal. I don't like the name of the book, but I do like the book a lot. Um, among the many useful points I discovered in this book, uh, one was sort of a scientific validation of a lot of Ra's primary points, uh, especially when giving like the balancing exercises. There was uh, a lot in this book that sort of spoke to that. And within that, I think particularly was Ra's statement uh, when examining our distortions, they say each acceptance smooths part of the many distortions that the faculty you call judgment and genders. And so in Major Third's question, I see him going through the process of balancing and um, accepting those things that he finds um, unacceptable and then trying to accept the faculty that finds those things unacceptable. So uh, Dr. McGonigal in this book presents a wealth of recent scientific research that speaks to the point that Ra talked about, that judgment engenders distortion and acceptance smooths distortion. So through the lens of uh, helping people overcome habits that uh, don't serve them and help them to develop habits that do serve them, she presents studies showing that the ability to change our so-called bad habits, and they're only bad because they are not aligned with our long-term goals. That's not sort of a value judgment necessarily. Um, but doing that uh, um, is hindered by this internal judgment. If we um, place a moral judgment on our distortions or our behaviors or our habits, then we are framing what we are doing as wrong and as failures, and doing that, according to these scientific studies, actually hinders our ability to change those things. Essentially, if we beat ourselves up over those bad habits, it actually works against us. So instead, these studies say that if we want to uh, change a habit or um, find a way to uh, smooth a distortion, as Raw would put it, it is acceptance of these habits uh, that makes it easier to do that. So to apply this to Major Third's question, uh, while he may be worried that in his balancing unacceptance of himself, he will slow his progress, and perhaps uh, I think this science speaks to the opposite of that. I think it's a, a common misconception in our culture that in order to change attitudes and behaviors or in order to address distortions, as Major Third might be doing, we have to sort of uh, shame, shun, or reject old attitudes. And it seems that our culture has this rhetoric of shame where uh, if somebody has a habit that they want to change or that we want to change, um, like if they're overweight or have an addiction and uh, somebody uses this rhetoric of shame, uh, they defend these techniques by saying, well, how else are we supposed to get them to change? Uh, there seems to be this belief that in showing compassion and acceptance for a bad habit, they're sort of enabling it. 
But I think that, uh, as Dr. McGonagall points out in this book, the science shows the opposite, that by withholding compassion and acceptance, we're just creating a greater hurdle for someone to uh, change their habits. And in this sense, habits more pertaining to the distortions that Major Third is um, attempting to balance. And that works both outwardly and inwardly uh, when we judge ourselves it becomes more of a hurdle to change things and to balance things than it does than if we accept things. So um, as I hear myself say that, I don't know if I actually addressed what Major Third was asking about, but uh, essentially, uh, hopefully the perspective of non-acceptance being more of a hindrance in the long term, while it might seem useful initially to identify those distortions and um, have a desire to change them, in the long term, it is actually more of a hindrance than a help, according to uh, science. And I highly recommend that book. It's a great book. Um, so that's sort of my initial thoughts on his question. Well, that was a great response, Austin. It's uh, also interesting and good to know that there's something in the way of the scientific community that can validate some of what Ra had to say about uh, a judgment and so forth. Gary, how about you? What have you got to say about this topic here? The... What I surmised was a central thread for replying was um, similar to what Austin plucked out. And I think Austin uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of what I believe Major Third was seeking. Austin said, um, losing the fuel of self-judgment. Like there was some concern on Major Third's part that to accept those places of non-acceptance, he would... Um, his motivation would atrophy or he would just be complacent um, there's another word idle um, and not do the work and to speak to that as well um, I chose 42.2 through rather 42.4 to 5 from the law of one. Now read those. Uh, the questioner says, would a perfectly balanced entity feel an emotional response when being attacked <clears throat> by the other self? Ra, this is correct. The response is love. Questioner, in the illusion that we now experience, it is difficult to maintain this response, especially if the entity's attack results in physical pain. But I assume that this response should be maintained even through physical loss of life or extreme pain. Is this correct? Ra, this is correct and further is of a major or principal importance in understanding, shall we say, the principle of balance. Balance is not indifference, but rather the observer not blinded by any feelings of separation, but rather fully imbued with love. So... Elkins is asking about balance and love in the face of attack, specifically because an attack is an extreme form of Entity B relating to Entity A. Um, exceedingly few people on planet Earth would feel love in their heart toward an attacker. Yet, to allow love to flow through the heart into the illusory situation, even in the face of an attack, is a representation of the perfectly balanced Entity. And it illustrates the transcending power and the great possibility of love. 
Indeed, it's likely that uh, this is what Jesus was attempting to exemplify and embody. So, um, love is intertwined and inseparable from acceptance, really. They're synonyms, they're two strands in the rope, they're equivalents in some respects. Love seems the deeper of the two. So meaning, um, major third seems to indicate that acceptance itself would um, would uh, not be working with his balances, would not be doing the balancing to engage in the act of acceptance. And those two quotes illustrate to me that accept, acceptance rises out of balance. It arises out of doing the work. And as Ra communicates, the perfectly um, balanced entity will respond with total um, unreserved acceptance, what we call love, non-resistance to the moment, total embrace and cherishing even of the moment seeing through the illusory form of the moment and recognizing that the creator is manifesting right now love and acceptance. Um, so I don't think that to accept the self means to ignore the parts of the self where work and attention are needed or to give excuses for areas that need healed and balanced. Um, I think that with stringent honesty one um, can see that they have work to do on a certain area and acceptance to apply. I think when one examines their motivations and their thoughts and looks into the mirror that others give them, um, that clarity of seeing uh, helps highlight to one that there is work to do. Acceptance doesn't doesn't make one blind to that, is is what I'm trying to say. And um, acceptance actually helps clarify the sight even further, so that one can see where one's work lies. Because as Austin was indicating, judgment uh, or non-acceptance or resistance just muddies the waters makes it more difficult to see the actual situation that is occurring. Instead, you're seeing your resistance to the situation or your non-acceptance of the situation. And that distorts the creator. And the goal of the spiritual seeker is to undistort uh, the moment and the creator. And acceptance is the road to undistorting the moment to seeing clearly and recognizing the moment as it is so that's my take on your question major third i hope uh as with austin that i spoke to what you're actually getting at okay good job gary um i would agree that we need to be able to uh accept the fact that we're judging ourselves and not judge ourselves for judging ourselves get into a vicious circle there. Um, I think we need to call it like it is. You know, We need to be as honest as we can be in our evaluation of ourselves and everything that we, we go through in our lives. Right now we're talking about ourselves. And 
try to imagine the steps that are necessary to take in order to reach this acceptance of our non-acceptance. Um, in the uh, balancing, uh, the, the pyramid that was used in initiation in the Queen's Chamber, Ross said that the initiate would go in there and would accept itself with both the distortions that it had and the perfection of itself, accept itself in both of those aspects and realize that all was perfect. And after doing that, then the initiate was able to open itself to the universe, which it is. And through the desire to seek the creator that is intensified by the will of the entity, then that would open up to the initiate the opportunity to actually experience the unity with the creator. So it seems that this ability to accept our non-acceptance and accept the self that is distorted in some way or another is critical. We don't have to be perfect entities in order to be able to progress spiritually. But acceptance of ourselves as we are seems to be very important. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can use myself as an example, but for uh, most of my life, over 60 years of it, uh, I did not accept myself, and I did, and I did not really accept the fact that I didn't accept myself. Um, and there, I don't think there was any good fuel that came out of uh, being uh, aware of the non-acceptance and not accepting that. I think that it prolonged the situation. I mean, it only took me 68 years to love myself. So you know, you know, there, there may be a little problem there with efficiency. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I think it's really important for us as seekers of truth, conscious seekers, to uh, to look at ourselves the best we can and, and move from that point. However distorted you might see yourself, if you can just see yourself in that sense and accept what you see as the best you can do right now and then work on that, I think you're building a good foundation that way. I mean, we have to start somewhere with acceptance. I think all of the non-acceptance has a reason. Now, every distortion that we run into in this third density has a reason. The reason is that as we work with it, as we process that catalyst, we are polarizing our consciousness. That's the way it works. You know, having to work hard on yourself or how you judge or uh, how you do one thing or another that you may say is not what you want to do and not accept yourself for it, all of those things are opportunities to learn. We can learn from everything uh, if we are really seeking to learn. And I'm pretty sure that all of us are. Every conscious seeker is trying to figure out how to learn the lessons that he or she has come here to learn. And uh, the beginning is to accept the fact that we're not accepting ourselves in this particular case here. So uh, that's my take. Um, does anybody have anything to add on that particular part of this question? I do. Um, one, and that is that uh, 18.5 is one of my favorites, and I think it's a perfect way to consider this question. And um, I don't have it in front of me, and I wouldn't read it anyways. It's longer. But it's the one where Ra talks about the, the, the role of the entity in third density is to experience all things desired, and then through analysis, meditation, and so forth, distill the love light. Um, that whole quote describes a radical level of self-acceptance for the self. Um, so radical, in fact, that it's total. It's absolute. 
it indicates that there's nothing out, nothing the self can do or think or be that is outside of the need for self-acceptance. It certainly encourages not carrying out certain actions, which would infringe upon the free will of somebody else. But um, in terms of one's orientation and attitude in relation to the self, um, it counsels total self-acceptance. So explore that one. Um, the second thought that I had was that Jim quoted uh, the one where Ra talks about initiation. And uh, Jim, actually, that quote about the apparent distortions and total perfection isn't, so far as I remember, in connection to the Queen's Chamber. Uh, Don's asking about space and time, and Ra uses that opportunity to riff on space and time and say, these are mechanical concepts, they need never be considered, and then they go on to say that in the mystical search for unity, the seeker seeks the one. The one is to be sought, as we have said, by the self-accepting self. Wow, I, uh, aware both of its apparent distortions and total perfection. It was from memory, and I'm terrible with verbatim quotes. Uh, I think that was a great one to quote because it's perfect. Um, it, it holds in tandem simultaneously these two seemingly paradoxical contradictory truths, apparent distortion and total perfection. And it's easy for spiritual seekers to become lopsided in either direction. One can engage in spiritual bypassing by focusing just on the perfection and say, oh, well, everything's perfect and I have no work to do. And maybe this is what Major Third was thinking. Everything is so uh, um, perfect that uh, whatever my distortions are, whatever harm I've caused to another or myself or... Um, it's perfect. You know, there's... I'm just going to uh, ignore so much and that is bypassing and that is lopsided on the flip side which is where probably most people are um they're seeing only the apparent distortions and getting consumed in all that is wrong with the self or not working or blocked or the ways we don't live up to standards and fail to recognize that all those distortions happen in a context of perfection so it's the balance and holding of those two truths simultaneously that, like Jim said, in quoting Ra, opens the self to the universe. So that is a really good one to study. And um, finally, a note. Uh, I've been rambling for a while. Um, I was going to relate a bit of myself to this question, but Austin, do you have something to add? Um, yeah, I do. I think that both of what you and Jim are talking about are um, very important in discussing this topic, the seeming paradox, I guess. And one thing that uh, I would like to contribute would be the um, positive quality that might be found once the unacceptance of our unacceptance is <laughs> distilled which I think could be um, discussed by comparing the difference between judgment and discernment. So that's a bunch of uh, semantics, I think. You can talk about judgment in a lot of different contexts, and even Ra will use the term judgment in different ways. Um, one in the quote that I used where judgment engenders further distortion and then another one when they're discussing the archetypes, there's literally an archetype called judgment. So, um, 
uh, I would hope that they, <laughs> that archetype isn't there just to engender further distortion. So I think that the difference is that the judgment, uh, the archetype judgment, is more of a discernment. So as you are working with this sort of unacceptance of our uh, unacceptance, that uh, unacceptance, the initial unacceptance of whatever distortions you have, um, I think has a positive quality to it. It's not wholly positive itself. It doesn't necessarily serve you on your long-term spiritual path because it is clothed in um, the thing that causes further distortion, what makes it a, a moral judgment, what makes you feel like a failure, like you have done something inherently wrong and that makes you lose sight of the perfection that Gary and Jim were talking about. But I think that if you really dig down into that unacceptance and work with it and balance it and distill it, what you'll find at the core of it is the positive distortion of discernment. And that discernment will allow you to recognize what serves you and what doesn't serve you on your greater spiritual path. And that requires the wisdom and the faith that Jim and Gary are talking about to recognize that uh, all distortions do serve us in some way or another, but when we are uh, dedicating ourselves to a certain path and uh, probably hoping to find ways to serve in greater capacities, there are some parts of ourselves that hold us back from that. And to somehow shift our own configuration towards something that does serve us more is a very beneficial thing. And uh, that small um, center core of that unacceptance, which is discernment, helps us recognize those things. So uh, I think that is another perspective that Major Third might take in trying to figure out how unacceptance can be accepted. Okay, very good. Um, so should we move on to the actual acceptance of the self and how that might be accomplished? Yeah, if you guys have any ideas. <laughs> okay. Well, Gary, how about you starting <laughs> us off? <laughs> um, yeah, I in in thinking about Major Third's question, I was uh, scanning my own life for seeing uh, if and how this manifests as well. And um, I think back to um, the way I am at home often with my wife, and I get into moods that I'm just in places of discomfort, I guess you could call it, uh, unease and a sort of being bent out of shape for whatever reason. And I don't want to fully acknowledge the discomfort or accept it. And that becomes apparent to me when my my wife will, of course, pick up on it and uh, ask me if I'm okay. And I can't explain why, but I get really irritated by the question, are you okay? Um, and it's, it's kind of inexplicable to me. It doesn't make sense because she's coming from a good place and I could, it's a fairly easy question to answer, but, uh, I, I get even more out of shape at the question. And I've kind I've asked her actually not to ask that question. Something about it gets to me when I'm in that state. And I, it, it kind of feels like, 
you know, an animal that's that's frothing at the mouth and angry and then taking a stick and poking it further, even though I, I know that's not the intention of the question. And as, as best as I can make of it, it um, I, I don't want to fully accept this state I'm in, which could be defined as non-acceptance. Like I'm in a state of non-acceptance, a state of resistance to the moment, and it's causing discomfort and pain. And I don't want to acknowledge that and accept it because it's so uncomfortable. And then the question uh, brings it to the attention. And so there's there's some unacceptance of unacceptance, perhaps. I don't know. So Jim asked the question about um, working with that. And uh, as best as I can figure out, um, pain by definition is something that one wants to avoid or that puts one into a state of avoidance. Uh, pain, of course, is uncomfortable. So you want your attention elsewhere. You want to escape pain. You want to mitigate it or uh, throw a cover over it so you don't have to look at it. So pain naturally creates this resistance state in you. So I think part of the beginning steps of of accepting that unacceptance is placing the attention on it, turning to face it, and holding the attention there. And a certain quality of attention, not not a judgmental, pejoratively judgmental attention that says, this sucks, or I hate this, or I shouldn't be this way. Or it's somebody else's fault, but an attention that just witnesses it with equanimity that is there uh, and present and can be with the experience. So I think that's part of the, the beginning road of, uh, of untangling the unacceptance of unacceptance. Okay, good job. Austin, how about you? How do we go about really accepting ourselves? I think Gary is right on the right path. Uh, and I hear a follow-up question to what he said. Well, then how do we do that? <laughs> um, which is happens to be uh, my own response to this and that I think there are a lot of different ways uh, to start. But what I think has been most useful for me, particularly in this past year, is the practice of mindfulness in a very deliberate and conscious sense. And mindfulness has become a bit of a buzzword, I think. You can go to the grocery store and look at the magazines trying to sell you stuff as you're checking out, and there's going to be at least one magazine there that has the word mindfulness <laughs> on the cover. And it's probably going to have a picture of, like, a woman on a beach uh, <laughs> um, meditating very serenely with, like, her legs crossed and thumbs and fingers touching on her knees. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think that um, hopefully the buzzwordiness doesn't turn people off of it because I have found uh, in this past year especially a, an incredible benefit of practicing mindfulness in a very intentional sense. Something happened to me in um, about the springtime of 2017. I had a shift that um, came about, I think, due to a sort of mindfulness, and it sort of uh, made a level of mindfulness more available to me than was there before. 
and I've been sort of um, uh, very impressed with it um, so far. But basically what I mean by practicing mindfulness is uh, creating a habit out of um, the perspective that Gary was suggesting taking towards things that might throw you off of your uh, harmonious path distortions that sort of capture you and uh, drag you along despite your best efforts to remain objective and uh, harmonious in those moments. And having a practice of meditation and mindfulness where um, you essentially practice remaining focused on a certain point in an objective sense. And objective might not be the best word, but um, observing, practicing the act of simply observing without getting wrapped up in identifying with the things that are happening to us. I think that it's a muscle that needs exercised just like any other uh, technique or um, ability that we can pick up. And having a daily practice of, even if it's just five minutes, um, sitting still and paying attention to something, probably your breath in some sense, but uh, it could be any sort of thing. And then practicing bringing your attention back to that thing when you find your mind wandering, I think creates a muscle that then will transfer into those moments like Gary was dis- describing and where some sort of distortion has uh, just taken hold and it can't be worked with in that moment. So I think really intentionally helping to exercise that muscle outside of those moments will help you to bring that awareness into those moments. And um, the distortion might still be there initially where you recognize that you're angry or whatever you're not accepting, you recognize it within yourself, but it doesn't take a hold of you like it used to. You are observing it and there's a sense of serenity that can be expressed uh, outwardly as you inwardly observe this thing that is happening. So uh, I think that would be my primary answer in how to start this path of accepting our distortions would be um, take up a practice of mindfulness. And meditation in general, obviously, is going to help this, but uh, mindfulness specifically as uh it can be defined as just practicing attention and observance, I think would really help in this area. What, what about the part on the beach? Do we get to be <laughs> on a beach? No. Nah. I mean, you can, but that's not what it is. Yeah, then I'm not buying this mindfulness. So. <laughs> Good job, Austin. Well, I would like to uh, use Austin's mindfulness and meditation and add to it uh, the balancing exercises that uh, Ra gave us. Their basic, um, I guess, uh, piece of advice or description as to why balancing works is that it's the nature of distortions that we're talking about here that in order to balance distortions, you have to accentuate them. And this is done most efficiently in the meditative state at the end of the day. Um, So you would take whatever... And and another thing I want to add here is that Ross said it's not what you do as much that you balance as what you think. 
It's what's in your mind. There are a lot of things that happen in your mind that don't make it to the physical expression in reality, but they're still there, and there's still distortions that need to be balanced. So I would focus on what it was in your mind during your day that threw you off your center of balance, your center of peace and acceptance and of love, and either direction, positive or negative. But let's just take uh, Gary was talking about feeling pain. Uh, maybe an inner pain, an emotional or maybe a psychic or even a spiritual pain. And maybe there's confusion that goes with it. And maybe there's anger that goes with it. And you would, if that happened to you during the day, then in your meditative state, you would recreate the situation in which you experienced that kind of pain. But you wouldn't just experience it as it was. You would blow it up until it was ridiculously large, huge. You would put a magnifying glass on it, and the pain would be incredible. And then just for one instant in your mind, in meditation, image the opposite of the pain. That would be the, the lack of pain uh, or the, the, the pleasure that you have resolved the pain. Just for an instant, um, image that opposite. Now, you don't have to blow it up like it blew the pain up. Just watch it get larger. And when it's as large as the pain that you started with, then accept yourself, love yourself, for having both of those qualities within your being as means by which you can learn more about yourself, about love, and about the Creator. And go through the rest of your day, anything that threw you off that center, use the balancing exercises to do the same thing. Blow it up, make it huge, image the opposite, let it get bigger, accept yourself, love yourself. Over a period of time, what this does is reintroduce you to the fact that you are all things. The mind contains all things, as Ra said. And all of them are acceptable as means to help us learn while we're in this third density illusion. And once we can see that everybody is in this same boat, we all have these things, we're all totally unified beings that are microcosmic universes, then it seems to make it easier to accept those qualities in yourself and in others that were previously unacceptable. But over a long period of time, the balancing exercises help us to realize that unity of thought that is us, that we are. And it brings us back into a center of our being where we can see more clearly. We don't have as many distortions that block our clear vision of what we are experiencing and how. So that would be my suggestion to add to the, the mindfulness, which is extremely important. I think that's what really gets you to the point of realizing what it is that needs balance. Then meditation, that's what seats this learning within your being. Uh, analysis has uh, a purpose. It's a good way to figure out what it is that needs to be balanced. But analysis won't seat the learning in the heart of your being. It has to be meditation. And that, for some reason, and I believe the reason is it takes us back to a, a larger part of ourself, Perhaps we go down into our subconscious mind in some degree and, and feel the, uh, the essence of our um, foundations as being a part of the one creator. So if we meditate on these qualities, then we seat them within our being so that we can go forward less distorted. Anybody else have any comments to make on this acceptance of self? Just to reinforce uh, what Austin brought up and then you seconded Jim, and that's um, the utter the paramount rather value of mindfulness i've seen um the necessity 
and utility of exercising that faculty in my own life. And without mindfulness and meditation, I think we are bound to be at the mercy of uh, programs, most of them subconscious, that are running our mind-body-spirit complex. Mindfulness is that means of um, control has a pejorative use or negative use in the law of one, but is that means of getting behind the wheel, as it were, of uh, waking up and becoming a conscious being. But that's it for me. Excellent replies, guys. Austin, anything more from you? Just a final note that we um, have been using this term mindfulness, and I think we described it pretty well, but I do want to highlight that it is something that um, you might be able to do yourself, but it is really helpful to seek out guidance in this area and there's a lot of really really good resources for developing mindfulness so um if you're confused about what exactly we're talking about when we say mindfulness i would suggest um, uh, looking for uh, a book or uh, something that will help to develop it there's lots of resources online uh, for free or uh, to purchase all right well i think we've had a good show gang so uh You've been listening to LNL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to Major Third for sending us the questions that featured in this episode. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on a page at llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon, Eastern Time. We want you all to know that no matter how distorted you may think you are, it does not matter to us. We love each and every one of you. Keep on doing the good work of loving each other and working on your path. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. We'll talk with you then.